Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. Except right now, it's all Legion all the time. You should expect this. I mean, it was pretty obvious. Anyway, I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he was missing last time, but he's back now, and that would be Joe Perez. Say hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. I'm not dead yet. It's awesome. <laughs> well, that's that's good. We would rather you not. Yes. As would I. Eh, give it time. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in I'm in the Rossi boat. My body is slowly abandoning me. Uh, no, you guys aren't allowed to do that. I'm just like putting my foot down here. All right. Um, speaking of Rossi, of course, we also have our other co-host, which and he would be the other lore focused writer over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Rossi. Hi, Rossi. How's Hello. it going? Puppy. Puppy is very, very, very puppy. <laughs> I was playing WoW today with my wife, and she kept asking me questions like, where am I supposed to go? And my response would always be, that place with the people who do the stuff. Nouns are hard. That one place with the thing. Uh, <laughs> the hole where you first go in the, the nightfall and give you quests, please. Yeah, it's underground. Well, speaking of questions and answering them, that's actually what we're going to be doing this week. We did get a few questions in via email from you guys. And as always, if you want to like send us an, a question specifically for Lorewatch, just go ahead and send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. But make sure you put Lorewatch in the subject line and we'll know it's for this show. Um, we do this every now and again, and this seemed like a good time to do it because it's, you know, a few weeks after Legion's launch and i'm pretty sure everybody's got questions about just what the heck is going on so we're gonna jump right into that uh this question is from melton on dragonblight eu who says thank you for the podcast blizzard watch and lore watch you're welcome melton anyway uh he says i have this theory in my head for a couple weeks now listening to the last episode of lore watch makes it only stronger this expansion, we've learned that Azroth has the quote-unquote last titan soul. I've always found it odd that Sargeras came to Argus and corrupted the Eridar, because a lot of what I saw in the, of the Burning Legion were creatures that look like Eridar or something derived from it. What if Sargeras never came to Argus but is Argus? What if Argus is the titan soul of Sargeras and the corruption of the Eridar is the start of the Burning Legion? It would make sense why the Army of Light is fighting over there and why Vela needs to go home. Destroying Argus means the end of Sargeras. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Melton, what do you well, guys say? rhymes. Argus, Sargeras. I mean, it's, you know, kind of rhymes. Sargeras and Argus. Sargeras. Sargeras. What do you think, Joe? I think it's an intriguing theory, but there's one problem. We still don't know what happens to a world when a Titan hatches. Yeah, that's so, a big thing. So we don't know if the world ceases to exist. We don't know if everything just kind of like gets enveloped into the world because the Titans never talk about where they came from. There's nothing that we have seen so far in Chronicle, quests, books, anything yet that has described what has happened to those planets. Well, we also, know that Draenor is Norgannon. Do we, for certain? No, no, we don't. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, what? I was like, <laughs> I, I missed something really important there. I mean, it's a, it's a pet theory I have that it, that yeah. it is, in fact, Norgannon just because of the whole making thing. And the, if you went, we've talked about it before, uh, Gorgrond, the way Gorgrond works out with the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, one of my pet theories is that it is, in fact, the, when the Titan soul is left, and the, the world is changed into the final form that what it left behind was a savage uncontrolled world because the essence of it was gone but that's purely a pet theory it is not in any way supported by anything yeah i mean evidence would suggest that 
if the Titans are so concerned with preserving worlds and things like that. And so, well, I don't know. See, that's the weird part is it's like, we don't know. We don't know what happens when they hatch. I mean, does the planet just explode like an eggshell? Because that would kind of suck for everybody who spent all this time defending Azeroth. If Azeroth just said, sup, I'm awake now. Y'all can die. Thanks for helping me out. Thumbs up. And then just takes off across the cosmos and we're floating in the great dark beyond dead. And I mean, the only person that would really know it would be like Amun Thule, right? Like, right. Because so, theoretically, uh, I believe they said that he was the first and he was the one that was all alone until he found others like himself. So, I mean, unless we can dig up like, I, I don't know. I mean, I am carrying a piece of it on my shaman, like, you know. So, I mean, maybe possibly we'll find out later on, like we'll get some memories from some of the Titans, since a lot of us have pieces of Titans, apparently, that we're carrying around. What if the what if the reason that Nazdarmu was so like Murazond was so sketched out during the end of his encounter was because he saw what happened after the Titan hatched and decided he needed to present prevent that to preserve his own life. That is entirely possible. I don't know, because he cried out Tomenthal when he died. He did. He did. Which makes me think, okay, maybe that wasn't... I mean, was he was he crying out and going, help me, save me? Or was he crying out in kind of like a curse you, Amanthul sort of way? I don't know. My thing, my thing here is actually interesting, though, because one of the things we know is that the uh, the, the, the Atomai crystals right. were on uh, Argus before the Exodus. And they were gifted by the Naru. Yes, and we know the Naru were created by Elun during the Great Ordering of Azeroth. I mean, of the cosmos. Of the cosmos, yeah. It wasn't yeah, just Azeroth; it was the cosmos. Yeah, everything. When the entire universe was set into into motion, Elun created the Naru to ex- to serve as like servants of the balance of the light. So I kind of feel like maybe it's actually older and more important than Sargeras. If Elun yeah. was there at the ordering of light and the void and created the cosmos and everything does that mean that she's also the titan's mommy it's because it kind of seems like she's you know elun seems like she is the opposite number to the void lords right it definitely seems like elun and possibly which would Anche put her well. a step above the titans yeah, correct very much you so. know it would it would also explain potentially why there's the old lore from the furbogs and the trolls about how she would and and the elves that she would like elun would disappear during the daylight into the the well of eternity basically because maybe she was like my child is hurt i must heal it i don't know about that so much i'm just saying maybe you never know i don't know about that so much it's kind of weird and maybe the reason Loon is so influential on azeroth and not really any other because the thing is is they don't really have a counterpart point to a on draenor or anywhere else well that's the thing is we don't know what they had before the coming of the Legion and Sargeras. We don't really oh, know. Dude. What if Loon was like focused on Azeroth and Anshi was focused on Draenor and the Arakoa? Would explain the sun based ruins, yeah. I know, right? Yeah. Mm. And they actually use interestingly similar technology. The crystalline golems are similar to the ones that you find on uh, the various Tempest Keep satellites. Right. That would make a strange amount of sense. That the would other be thing weird. to think about though is like Argus itself, you know, if with the idea that, you know, Sargeras might be the, the world soul of Argus, that's certainly it could be. We don't really know. It does seem weird that he would go back there 
you know, like he, he supposedly searched the cosmos for the for a race of magically powerful beings. He he would have, you think he wouldn't know have to. He search wouldn't. The cosmos. Re- he, he wouldn't have to search. He, yeah. Yeah, he'd just remember. Oh, hey, yeah. What about that one planet? The one that I came from. The one that's me. That like, one had I- some. That one had some pretty powerful things on it. Maybe I'll just go back and borrow them. Wasn't I covered in wood lice that could do magic? I think I was. <laughs> Because, I mean, seriously, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like, you know, going, hey, the dust mites in my eyebrows. Do you want to, like, serve me? Okay, I don't know. But sure. I'm just, like, trying to figure out what part of the body would be the well of eternity. And I'm lost. Anyway. Or, wherever you got a bad piercing that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, man, oh, I those, guess this, those like, even the neck piercings, man, they reject so horribly. Or it's like when you you know you get like a thing on your back. That was the and your body. stamp that never quite healed properly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was actually thinking like you know when you get like a growth in your shoulder or something, you go to your friend, hey, what's this? You ever see anything like this? And instead of like looking, he just kind of rips it off. Oh, oh, like, okay, oh. no, we're getting. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to question your friendships there. <laughs> yeah, I think this tangent we could probably stay away from because it's kind of gross. So, uh... but at any rate, you know. We we have the old gods who, you know, the Titans and the old gods seem really evenly matched. So if we postulate, like, I think you've said this before, if we postulate that Elune is an order of being, like, who lives in the light, and for all we know, one of many, that we just happens to be the one we know about. Like, Anshi might be another one that we we don't really know she's much the about. Counterpoint, I feel like she's the counterpoint to the Void Lords that sit one step above the old gods, and we've never encountered the Void Lords. No, we've encountered void gods, but those are actually Naru that have gone bad. Yeah, we haven't actually encountered the void lords as okay. mentioned in Chronicle. This is the, there's a little thing here I'm going to talk about real fast because it's it's a it's kind of a spoiler for the Paladin campaign. Do you plan on doing the Paladin campaign? Um, yeah, at some point because I do have a level 100. I just haven't done it yet because I've been working on the Druid. So so, so we can't talk about it. Well, I mean, there, there's something in the Paladin campaign that shows that certain beings that you'd think are the most evil beings in creation can be good. Yes. And if you think about that... Oh, yeah. Okay. No, that's already been spoiled for me. See, the thing is, is like I try not to get spoiled on stuff, but everybody on Twitter and elsewhere goes, and have you seen what do you think of this thing? Throw a spoiler in my face. And I'm like, thanks. I hadn't actually encountered that yet. Okay. So (laughs) so you know about Lothraxian? Yes. Okay. I don't know about how he came about exactly or how he That's appeared not... yeah but i know of his existence and i have seen screenshots that people have really rudely thrown at me on twitter so well, they with since we know that the 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 uh dreadlords the uh Nathrism, are void they love the void they love void energies they they swarm to planets that have been infested by the old gods because that's great they love to be around that if they can turn to the light and we have the naru who go from light to shadow You've talked about before. What does an old god who goes light look like? I feel like, like what? What if the Naru? If the old gods are the opposite of the Naru? I feel like the Naru are the old gods are just like the extreme end of the dark side of the evolutionary cycle of the Naru. Well, almost, imply- but they aren't because we, it's already been established that the Void Lords created the old gods and kind of chucked them out there. So it's not the same thing. Like they aren't the same thing. They're not, but they. What if they can do the same thing that Naru do? What if they can go to the opposite end of the spectrum? What, what if, if they, they can, can go become... extreme light? Well, yeah. yeah if the void, I mean, if they, if they're, they're creatures of void and darkness, right? I mean, that sucks in light. Essentially, it, 
if you study just like or you go by like the laws of physics, nothing is actually destroyed. It's being and it, it, it can't be destroyed. Something has to happen to it. What does a so, benevolent old god look like? I mean, yeah. is it covered in like feathers instead of mouths or eyes or, or feet? Well, maybe you know? maybe no, it's not, a raven. Like what if it's Anzu? Because Anzu is the raven lord. Anzu is like. A, a god that you know shadow and everyone mentions you him know, in relation to your gods i have a side tangent to get on here because i just i have to ask this because it didn't quite connect or click in my head and i'm trying to figure out where that connection is and i feel like you would know rossi okay so my druid i'm running around as balance which is great because i literally drop moons on people when i'm angry at them and it's fantastic and i've got the scythe of a loon right Whenever I go to Stormheim, and you know the two ravens that are there? Yes. Hugin and Munin? Yeah. They don't like me. They don't like the scythe. They make, they make like, disgusted noises at me and look at me funny. Anytime I walk by them, there's, like, emotes. Why? There's uh, something about the scythe of a loon that they don't like. That's weird because they're Odin's servants. I know, right? So why don't they like the size of a loon? What's going on there? Am I missing like some kind of obscure reference? Is there some sort of reference to like Nordic well, mythology that I'm missing? I mean, theoretically, they would not like anything related to a wolf because a wolf kills Odin. But that's like in actual Norse mythology, the Fenris wolf kills Odin. Maybe... I don't think Goldrin counts as the Fenris wolf. But... Well, no, but Fenris well, even in... would kind of be like under that same umbrella as Goldrin, right? Kind of. Although I think I remember something like the the Nordic myths were the first time that scythes were like associated with death. So maybe it's a symbol of Ragnarok. I don't know. Maybe that's something to do with it. Because I mean, no, no. I mean, we in Ragnarok, Odin is killed by Fenris. That's what happens. Right. Well, um, supposedly yes. Odin himself is the grim one. He's associated with death. Um, the reason that he, he has an eight-legged horse is because Sleipnir is just a metaphor for the funeral bier. When people would be carried to their their pyre, they would be carried on a piece of wood that had eight limbs, so that you know eight people could carry it. That's what Sleipnir is. Sleipnir is, you know, that's he's a funeral buyer. It's so eight-legged, yeah. Okay. So the the scythe having the negative reaction to the raven, so that is actually new to me. I don't. It's weird. I, it's weird because whenever they, whenever I walk by them, it's like they give me shady looks and things like that. Like they aren't, they don't really like my presence at all. And and of course, you know, Odin says nothing about it. It's yeah, not even weird. mentioned. It's just the ravens. That's why I was like. What what's up with this reference? Yeah, the is this something seen... that I'm not getting? Is there is there some piece of mythology here that I haven't quite? Well, you know, this is going to be funny. I, I this, this I I just looked it up because I was really curious. Yeah. Um, Norse mythology did actually evolve uh, hell from carrying what was originally uh, a broom or a uh, what was it? It was either a broom or a rake. If it was a rake, uh, and she was you know seen, some people would survive the coming plague. Um, if it was a broom, nobody would survive. Later on, however, it was uh, converted from the broom to the scythe. So there might be something there in that regard. Ooh. I don't know. So it was it was adopted later on that it became she became sort of the classic visage of the Grim Reaper, but applied to Norse mythology. Okay, so they're kind of maybe possibly associating my with character Helia. with Helia. Maybe. Huh. I don't know. It just depends on how. It's weird. There's the, there's a connection there. And and I feel like it's not so much about stuff in game as it is kind of a haha side note to Norse mythology sort of thing, but yeah, because I mean the side of a loon, you've got Goldrin's Fang, 
and then you've got the staff and it comes together and it forms a size. But Elune has nothing to do with Odin, to my knowledge. And Goldrin has nothing to do with Odin, to my knowledge, except for maybe that well, loose Fenrir. But also, I mean, if we go back to our earlier point where we're discussing if Elune was present at the ordering of the universe and knows about them, what are the chances that Odin knows about her? And what if there's something there that we don't know? And Odin's the type of person, at least from what I get in the game, that uh, the way he's personified, if he doesn't like something, he's going to ignore it or burn it to the ground. And I don't think he can kill Elune or fight her, so he's ignoring it. However, his minions don't necessarily have to ignore it. They can say or do whatever. They're just birds. People can't speak bird. You don't know what's going on unless you're part bird, like the a balanced druid. That birds actually speak perfectly whatever Azerothian common is. I, I know. They talk to you, so... But I'm just saying. Yeah, like, but they, they don't talk to me. They just look at me. And snicker or whatever, yeah. And and no, there's no snickering. They look at me and they're like, they grumble because they're forced to talk to me because Odin is making them talk to me, that kind of thing. Like, but they don't actually like spit it out and say directly what their beef is, just that they have a beef. And I thought that was really interesting and weird. And that, sorry, that was a tangent that had nothing to do with your question, Melton. It was just something I felt like I needed to throw at these guys to see if they had any answers because I was coming up empty. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll have to look into that a little bit more then. I don't know. Just to, to bring it around back to the question because yes. there's something I don't not only do we not know what happens to a Titan soul when it develops fully and no longer is bound to its planet, we have no idea if blowing up the planet would do anything to Sargas, even if he was Argus. Because he's already born. Yeah, right? he's he's been out for a long time. Even if Ar if Argus is the world that he was, that doesn't mean that he'll that anything will happen to him if anything happens to it. We don't know. We have no knowledge of that. That there's no, never been anything said about what happens like even even the old god infestations of worlds, the the assumption is that the old gods are going to destroy the planet in the process of corrupting it, and it doesn't seem like they think that that's going to keep the Titan soul from becoming a monstrosity that will destroy the universe. Like they're not worried about killing the planet. And keep in mind that Velen, the reason Velen wants to go back to Argus, it doesn't have anything to do with Sargeras. It's kill Jaden. Yeah. He has some serious beef with kill Jaden, oh, and yeah. he wants he wants retribution for everything that his people have suffered over these thousands and thousands and thousands of years and for what happened to his son you know he wants he wants revenge really he's set on revenge and i don't think you really want to cross a villain that's set on revenge but that's why he wants to head back to argus because argus is home home central for both archimonde and kill jaden so i don't i don't quite see this argaris connection there i it, it does bring up that question though of what happens to a planet once things hatch and that's something that i have been percolating and trying to kind of form some sort of theory around but i haven't come up with anything solid yet so sorry melton i guess that doesn't really answer your question but hey you got a whole bunch of dialogue out of it so that's good <laughs> okay um our next question is from thundercleese a torn druid from nagrand who says uh, hi, Blizzard Watchers. I have two lore questions for you. We're going to just take the one here because the other one is kind of spoiler heavy for Suramar stuff and not all of us have gotten there yet. So we're just going to take the first one. Um, also, because I mentioned this on Twitter last night and I'm kind of interested in seeing you guys' thoughts on it. Um, 
So he says, in the portrait room in Dalaran, where the five pillars of creation are stored once they're found, there are actually six pedestals. Is it possible that there are six pillars of creation? If we assume that the Tear of Loon is from Aenar, that leaves only two titans that could possibly have created a pillar, Norganon or Azeroth itself. Could Norganon have created a pillar before he was killed by Sargeras? Or does this indicate that Azeroth will create one in the future? Now, I posed this to Twitter the uh, last night, and I had all kinds of interesting theories immediately thrown at me. Um, one of them, the popular ones seem to be that the artifact weapon that we have will somehow get supercharged and, and become, become the next one. And become that six pillar of creation. And then a lot of people very sensibly pointed out, well, hey, you know, it's just the middle room and dollar on it just happened to have six pillars in it. Well, there were six also, pedestals, <laughs> but it was also, convenient for placing these pillars in there. There's just one left over. <laughs> if you count, if you count Sargeras, though, there were seven titans, right? Right. There's Amenthal, Anar, Norganon, Kazgoroth, Agrimar, and Golganath. So you have six titans. It is entirely possible that we might, or six good titans, we'll say. It is entirely possible we may find a long lost relic of one of the unrepresented because what do we what do we have for the pillar so far right we have what the tear of a loon uh which we think is from enr um the hammer with, I, I don't think that yeah i don't i don't well, think that i, I think it some... is either but i'm i'm just saying like that's the that's the the, common I don't say, the popular theory the popular theory because so it's that. all associated with Ysera, who was blessed by enr blah 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 but right. yeah um we have the the ages of agramar uh huh. We've got yep. the hammer of Kazgoroth. Yep. We've got uh, uh, the discs. No, not the discs. The eye of Amonthul. The eye of Amonthul. And then what was the other one? The tide stone of the Volganath. Tides- of Volganath of yes. Volganath. Okay. So we still have. Who do we still have? We still have Norgon, right? Norgon. Nor- Norgon, and in my opinion, Anar. And in, yeah. In theory, yeah, theoretically, Anar. So we have two possibilities there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible that there could be something left over from. You know, possibly Sargeras, maybe from when he was before he was, you know, evil McEvil pants. No, oh, because um, he never heard of Azeroth. Remember that but, they told him about Azeroth. Yeah, the pillars of creation were used in the ordering of Azeroth. They were used for that purpose. They're not relics that have. You know, they're not just relics right. that these guys had. They were specifically for the ordering of Azeroth. There's no way Sargeras could have had one because he was not no longer a member of the Pantheon to make one to order Azeroth with. So Norganon was the member of the Pantheon who was associated with magic. And as far as the dragon flights goes, he was the one who empowered Malagos. Yes. And then later on, Caligos. And we don't have anything for him. A lot of people were also suggesting that maybe it could be the Skull of Gul'dan. I don't think that that's the case. That just doesn't I feel right to so. me. That, that doesn't feel like a pillar here's of creation. what Here's what I was kicking around last night when I was thinking about it. Um... We have that heart, that lights heart thing, the, you know, glitter sparkle ham radio in our head that's telling us all about Illidan and how they need it and blah, 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 and isn't actually a Naru because it can't be, I guess. What if that's the final pillar? I was going to suggest the discs of Norganon. Yeah, I was going to The discs say that of Norganon seems... would also be like a good possibility because those, where did they go after we were done with them? I didn't even like. I wasn't actually able to physically pick them up. They stayed in in yep. Oldham. I mean, we in, just in activated them, right? I activated them. I got a copy of them and I took them to Oldham. It was just a copy, though. Yeah. yeah. So the original is still there, technically. 
the original is still in Oldemon. Oh my god, heroic Oldemon. Which is a Titan facility. I mean, I'd be down for that. We're going to do Mythic Oldemon, Mythic Plus Oldemon. <laughs> I'm Even just better. remembering it... that dungeon and trying to think well, of what a Mythic Plus would look like of that, and I'm terrified. But I mean, going back to like what Rossi was saying, though, like I'm just kind of leaning towards the Discus Norgonon 2 for one simple fact. We're if for nothing else, we know certain things are going to happen. We are fighting a foe of the Legion that is vastly superior to us in arcane power. What better to fight that or to give us knowledge to fight that than something that was direct related, directly related to the Titan for the ordering and cataloging of all arcane currents in the entirety of the universe? Right, but the Discs of Norganon weren't that. What the we Discs don't... of Norganon were, were they were a cataloged history of everything that had happened but on Azeroth. Are we absolutely certain of that? We don't know. We only know what we, we were given. There could be more depth there. Why we weren't allowed to get a like we, we weren't allowed. We didn't to pick have the original. correct access password right. to get or, the other stuff. And and how often have we seen in Titan facilities where a lot of stuff is gated between behind specific like you know you need to have the password, you need to have certain information, you need well, to be of a certain status. I was just inside uh, the the um, oh bloody heck uh, it's a Pandaria raid the one with the the make the engine the you know the engine, engine of the makers yeah. Uh, oh, Mogoshan uh, Vaults. Vaults. Yeah, I was just in there today doing uh, Elegon. By the way, twenty-five man miss stuff evaporates. It's it's so really? fun. Yeah. Ooh. I <laughs> may <laughs> have to go farm some things. Yeah, we just blew up. We blew up everything from both that dungeon and Throne of Thunder. Uh, even the only fight that was even remotely hard was Li Shen, and that 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 still went down. So yeah, but when we was doing uh when I was doing um the Elegon fight. First thing that happens is you come in and it immediately says you do, you're not recognized. And then after you beat it, after you you beat Elagon, uh, Lord Walker Cho just walks in and touches big discs hanging from the ceiling and gets knowledge. Yep. And what what it immediately made me think was like we go into we go into Oldemon, we we beat Arcadeus, and we get the discs, but we don't move them because they're gigantic discs laying there. We just leave. And that you takes a smaller compact flash drive and take it More down less, to yeah. Oldham. The gate all, that had, Oldham. all that had was basically Oldham is over here. And what's really funny is when you go to Alduar, again, the discs of Norganon are involved. Like the lore keeper of Norganon shows up and it's like, I keep thinking to myself, if the discs are an artifact, if they're, or a pillar of creation, something along those lines, then of course we, there's more to this story and they could have more information or for that matter, they just have information on the ordering of Azeroth, but by itself that's important because it would tell us exactly how, you know, Azeroth was made. You know, they might be the instruction manual for the other pillars. They might have information in them. You could see, here's, here's the thing. How did Medivh get that information? Mm-hmm. He got it from a Alod- from Alodai. Alodai was the first one to write about it. He says so when you do the teleport Dalaran thing. Alodai's like, yeah, I know about them. We didn't. Yeah. So Alodai wrote the book that ended up in the, the, the Guardian's library. But when and how did Alodai know about it? You know, like, where did he get the information? To, to, uh, where did all... any of Medivh's library come from in Karazhan? How did he have time to, to compile all of that? Because he was in a coma for how long? Well, yeah, I assume most of it was the previous so Guardian's book. So did it? Yeah. Did it appear like it, it, it goes back to that whole Karazhan's creation thing where they talked about it a little bit in The Last Guardian and Medivh, you know, he like postulated that, well, maybe it was built because it knew I one day I'd come to live here. 
<laughs> like the whole of Karazhan's really kooky, and I'm really interested in seeing what we see in 7.1 as yeah, far as much. like the Karazhan, you, you know, what that Karazhan instance, what kind of new lore it has in it. Well, I, I was writing the other day about this. This is one of the things that I noticed. The Legion has no ability to travel in time. They don't time travel. They can't. They can punch through universes like butter, but they don't do time travel. Well, the thing is, is even the punching through universes thing, you notice that they have a real hard time getting any of their big guns through. They always have to have somebody open a portal to them or let them through somehow. They needed Gul'dan to come. The thing is, is like, isn't the reason that they can't travel through time because they exist everywhere all at once? And that's why the Archimonde on Draenor that we went to was the same Archimonde that fell at High Jaw. It was the same guy. Maybe. That is certainly one possibility. Another possibility comes to mind is that Sargeras did not have a time portfolio. Amonfool did. A time portfolio. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Like, you know, the, the the portfolio of time. Like, I'm just using the word portfolio because it's, you know, each Titan had a thing. I'm do. thinking of the Pantheon as a bunch of businessmen and women now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it does look really nice in that, sir, in that you know, suit skirt thing. But it, it, seriously, though, Amonfool was the one who had control over time because Amonfool was the one who could give it to an Organon. I mean, that's an organic to Nosdormo. Sargeras didn't have that. That wasn't one of the things he could do. It was never one of the things he could do. So is the Legion limited in that way? Is that how we're going to beat them? Because they say they exist throughout all dimensions and everything, but they need help never. to get to any dimension? And, and I mean, to be perfectly fa- uh, frank, I mean, we've already seen proof that they need to either convince somebody else to do something or ride on the curtails of somebody else doing that. Kairos. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, look at Kairos. Kairos is a perfect example of that. And we've seen that before. So, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think the Kairos Legion is limited. Kairos was working with the infinite dragonflight, though. Right, but the, the, it doesn't... The decision so were the infinite dragonflight, were they associated with the Burning Legion or were they associated with the old gods? Like, which... which what was... Mm. See, Kairos is another one of those mysteries where I'm like, when are we going to see that solved? See, and I think, are we ever going to see that addressed? Because he he arrived, he did his thing, and he was killed so quickly that we never quite got to figure out what he was doing. And he said in that flashback that we witnessed, he said, I will become infinite or whatever. But is that really what he was after? Like, there's so many different definitions of that word and so many different meanings that that could take. Was he trying to become an infinite dragon or See, was every, he trying? Every time you bring up Kairos and the, whether or not he was working for the old gods or the infinite dragon flight or what have you, I keep coming back to this one idea. And okay. that's, again, it goes again to the Nathrazim because they're the only demons that like void energy. The ones that not, you know, everything else, like void, when you summon a Void Walker, that's not really a demon. It's not really a Legion thing. It's a it's a Void creation. It's like a Void Elemental, for lack of a better word. But the Nathrazim are the ones who actually like the Void. They like going to worlds corrupted by the old gods and basking in it. And that always makes me think, who are the most deceptive members of the Legion? The, the Nathrazim. Mm-hmm. Are they deceptive enough to be deceiving the Legion and working for the old gods? Are they that creepy? I mean, it's probably possible. And when we had an old god take control of the Scarlet Crusade, what did he turn their priests into? Shadow priests. Mm-hmm. Which we with know was born of the void. With ravens. And who has two ravens that don't like you when you're using the Scythe of a Loon? Odin. Odin. And what did Odin turn Helia into? A Valkyr. And 
she went bad and started turning into shadow thing. Like, there's some really weird stuff going on there's here. There's a lot of threads in all of this to unravel. So I do wonder about Kairos. I think you're right in that Kairos, like, what was he really up to? What did he mean by I will become infinite? Did he mean that he'd have his own infinite? Because the Legion is like this. Did he want to become the next Murazond or? Did he want to go beyond that? Because think about it. He wanted to fight the Legion, he said. Let's assume for a moment he was telling the truth. We'll just assume that. and Who knows? Maybe later on we'll find out he was full of bull. Because that's why Rathion was working with him. That's the only reason Rathion would be working with him is if he wanted to defeat the legion that's what rathion's purpose was or at least that's what rathion told us his purpose was and he's never given any indication otherwise well the thing is rathion is one of those guys who is deceptive without openly lying to your face no he just tells you exactly what you need to know not necessarily what you or no he tells you what you want to know he doesn't tell you everything you need to know he doesn't he did. tell you everything he knows either. Yeah. No, and no, and he's very he's very sly about that. Like you ask him a question and he will answer that question directly, but to the letter, he will never go beyond that. Like he's just a sneaky little character. So But if you think of it for a moment, that Kairos is telling the truth, that he actually wanted to fight the Legion. He needed an infinite army because that's what the Legion has. And that's what he wanted to try and do with the horde. Yes, he wanted to keep going and recruiting endless timeways versions of the Horde over and over again, which that's the only way to match the Legion is to go through time because the Legion has the infinite demon host because they don't die. They're not really infinite. There's a limited number of demons. It's just massive. You can't get rid of them. They're, 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 they're almost impossible to get rid of. Yeah. But if you have infinite numbers, if you actually had infinite numbers, you could beat them. Because you could kill them faster than they can come back. And imagine like if you had the most powerful beings throughout time and space, right? That you could pull on or have multiple instances of that of that person like we've seen can exist with, you know, like while they never interacted. I mean, at one point there was two Velens. I mean, if you can do that, then you very heavily start swaying the odds in your favor because you can now skew things. I mean... Great. One guardian is great. What happens if you bring all the guardians or, you know, whatever the case is? And that, this is like a random thing, but that that makes a really good point. Like that is the best way to fight a, a, a thing that you can't get rid of is to overwhelm it with such superior either uh, force or ability that it can't possibly regenerate quick enough to, to be bothersome to you. And that's it's really interesting about Kairos is was that what he was doing or did he even know what he was doing? Because that's the other thing. He started messing around with the Timeless Isle. And do we have the slightest idea why the Timeless Isle was the Timeless Isle? No, we still don't know why it exists or why it slips in and out of time like that. Yeah. And he just started messing around with it. And I mean, I saw like at least one vision from that that Timeless Scepter quest that nobody explained to me, including Sora Dormi. Yeah. What happened? And it there? didn't come to pass. She's still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as we know. Yeah. I, I've heard nothing about Sora Dormi being dead. So what was I, I was going to ask you about that when you were talking about that whole thing. I'm like, what about Sora Dormi? What happened yeah, to her? I don't know. That's, we that's, don't know. That's fascinating, though, isn't it? Like, the idea is we're giving, like, we get these, like, weird shattered reflections of what might have happened ever since ever since Deathwing. Like, I honestly think, feel like to a certain degree that the reason Deathwing had to die, that he had to go crazy and he had to die, was because it might be the Titan's way of beating Sargeras. 
Because if you think about it, with Deathwing dead and with the aspects no longer aspects, all these rules that the Titans had set up are now in abeyance. And one of those rules was that there is one true timeline. The uh, the thing about Deathwing, too, there was that short story. Oh, what was that short story called? Charge of the Aspects, maybe? Um, I think I know the one you're talking about, the one that near the end of Cata. Near the end of Cataclysm, where Thrall actually like encounters Deathwing, like his spirit, and they have a conversation. And Deathwing says something yeah, about that was, that was charge of the aspects. That right. Was, uh, and Matt, Deathwing Matt says something about you don't you don't know what they've had us do. You you don't know what they made us do. You don't understand the Titans at all. And but the that, implication there was that Deathwing was very unhappy with the Titans and in particular his charge because he was destined to do what he was doing and he didn't like it. But I mean it makes a certain amount of sense, right? Because <sighs> Well, I mean and I think Rossi's hitting on a really good point there. And it's sort of, I don't want to say cliche, but I can't think of a better word because that's what always happens, right? Good guys are always restricted by a code, by order, by something that keeps them in line that makes them predictable. But what happens when you take that away, when you break those rules, when you shatter, when you free them from those restraints? We have unclicked the seatbelt. Exactly. And and now we can get out of the car and start whooping some hiney. Like it's, it's one of those interesting things where... Now we're not bound by this ordering and maybe through that chaos we can fight the like basically we can fight back the rest of the chaos. Maybe that's what Algalon saw because Algalon was like he was kind of shocked that despite what had happened to us we we fought as hard as we did and we fought for what was actually the correct thing like we were in an anomaly as far as he was concerned. We've taken that curse of flesh and we've turned it into something that we're using to our advantage there's actually something else to consider here too um what's that you got, well this one i don't want to talk about too much because it's emerald nightmare and it's a boss in the emerald nightmare raid uh i'm gonna just mention his name ilganoth the uh heart of corruption okay. ilganoth i is, haven't done it yet uh, i'm not going to talk about what happens here i'm just going to say that Stuff Ilganoth says is important to this. Okay. And that when you get a chance to do opens, it. When this opens, yeah. When this when opens you get a chance up in LFR, it, I will be all over that. No when question. you get a chance to do it, <laughs> definitely pay attention to what Ilganoth says. Because Ilganoth says things that directly relate to not only everything we've just been talking about, but what the old gods might really be doing. And I think, you know, when we tie it all back, I'm, I'm going to back it up a little bit here. When you were talking about how we have, like, all of the Titans' knowledge at our disposal and going back to the whole Discs of Norganon, there's there's knowledge there. There's the knowledge about time and things. When you think about that and you think about Sargeras and the Pantheon, what was the thing that he did for the Pantheon? He fought. He vanquished foes. That's what he knows. That's his That's his special area of expertise. That's it. If we can counter that then we won and we have all of the other Titans vast expanse of knowledge supposedly at our disposal. Correct. Yeah, and it would actually be really interesting to think about like Tar- Sargeras was the aggressor. Agrimar was the defender and Sargeras. I mean, we know this from Chronicle Sargeras killed his own disciple. He killed, you know, Agrimar was like his shield man and Sargeras killed him with one shot. Like yeah. He attacked him before. When he was not prepared, he was trying to talk. He wasn't even armed. He put his yeah. weapons down and said, look, let's talk. And Sargeras yeah. said, nope, off so of your head. That is how Sargeras approaches everything. But it's not like it's not how we have to approach everything. Although, you know, if you look at the universe so far, it certainly has been how we've approached things. 
Um, yeah, we kind of we kind of wreck stuff. Yeah. So yeah, Thunderclays. Don't know if that's uh, answered your question, but well, we got again, we got a whole load of interesting discussion about it and some tangents besides. Um, next question here is from Steel Belly Pandaren Warrior Warm Rust Accord who says, Hi, folks, love the show. Just wanted to get your opinion on something. I'm sure I'm not the only one who is surprised at the way Illidan is being framed and portrayed in Legion, especially given the quality of the other writing in the expansion. Do you think it's possible Blizzard could be setting up a bait and switch? Or maybe he's the quote-unquote chosen one in the Darth Vader sense, that he's destined to sacrifice himself and bring balance that way. We've seen too much about Anduin as related to the Army of Light, and it's hard to reconcile the two ideas. Just wanted to hear some opinions on this. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing the show in the future. Illidan. Yeah. Um, so far, I think I've done, like... Yeah, I've just done two steps in that chain. I haven't gotten the third part yet. Yeah, I'm about to get the third one today, actually. I, yeah. I, I, while we're doing this... The third one is not important to this discussion, though, so that's fine. Yeah, because the first two, I mean... Uh, you know, obviously we're talking about spoiler material here, but... We're, we're, I think we're far enough into Legion that we don't really need to give like huge spoiler warnings for this kind of stuff because it's pretty much right when you hit 110. Um, obviously, you go witness Illidan and Malfurion's birth and there's the babies presented <laughs> to the crowd and Zera is talking about how Illidan traveled through the cosmos and came to that point in in the universe to begin his destiny or whatever. And then you get to the second portion. And let's talk about the second portion because the second portion is really interesting. And I'm wondering what kind of lesson is it teaching us? So, Rossi, do you want to talk about that? Or, Joe, do you want to talk about that? Sure, I can. Okay. Um, basically, when you do the second portion, you, you go and you see the brief. First thing you do is you go to, like, the sacred Druidy place and you see a vision of, of Illidan and Malfurion and Taronda all standing there as Cenarius talks to them. And Cenarius is like, Illidan, I haven't insulted you. I'm simply saying that I'm not going to keep teaching you because you're not really into it. You and can learn from your brother. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I must learn from a novice instead of a master. And you know, Illidan's basically not having yeah. it. <laughs> and Cenarius' point is like, look, you don't actually want to do it. It requires you have to give up things for this and you don't want to give anything up. You don't want to make the investment. He, Malfurion will be the first druid because he wants to be. Because he's going to give things up for it. He's willing to yeah. sacrifice things. That, which for is such it. an interesting thing, right there, right? Like the, yeah. the the concept that Illidan is not willing to sacrifice yet. That's sort of his line. That's his motto. Well, that's the thing is Illidan is willing to make sacrifices as long as they're not him. And yep. that you really see that the thing that you see next is Illidan during the War of the Ancients. He's Illidan as the uh, head of the Moon Guards, working for uh, oh god, um, I can't remember his name, Catalus. Working for Catalus Ravencrest, Lord Catalus Ravencrest, and you—you you basically play through it. You are, you are playing as Illidan leading Can the Can I just you, say you go, go. very briefly that it's really cool that if you look at the sky during that portion of things, you see Crassus flying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crassus. <laughs> if if you do the whole thing, I mean, one of the things that happens is you run into Jared Shadowsong. Yeah. And when you do, you do stuff with him, and then Jared takes you up to the on the the bulwarks there, and the ramparts. Sorry. And you run into uh, Broxigar. This is the first time Broxigar has been in the game, by the way. Yeah. So Broxigar the Red is in the game. By the way, if people thought that Broxigar's axe looked like the the Horde axe, no, it doesn't. It, apparently, it's Betrayer of Humanity from Nexramas. But then again, he might not have got the wood axe. I'm not sure where this is in, the, he, in that period. Of time. This is he got I mean, it before the ancient yes. thing. 
So, anyway, yeah, apparently his wood axe looked an awful lot like Betrayer of Humanity from Nexramas. Who knew? Uh, anyway, you do various things throughout that, and you basically one of the things that happens is Illidan basically has a choice. Every time that he's during the fights, he basically has a choice to, I, I can lose this fight, or I can draw power from my moon guard, even though it will kill them. And he keeps doing that. Like, people have done this quest without killing the moon guard. It's really hard, but you can do it. But then you get to the final fight and you can't like you cannot you have to. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. If you don't draw from the moon guard and kill them, you can't beat the final boss. So that's what Illidan does. He he draws from the moon. Guard. He even says, if I if we don't win here, Surmar falls and Taronda dies. And I cannot allow that to happen. Like he straight up says he calls her my beloved Taronda and says, you know, I can't. I can't. Because at that happen. point, keep in mind, he's still kind of like besotted with her. This is yeah. before he gets thrown in prison for, yeah, this is, you know, the 10,000 years. <laughs> this is still, he isn't even sure that she's picked Malfurion yet. Like, this is, you know, she she has, but he's not 100% on that one. So, yeah, he, he makes the decision. He draws power from the Moon Guard, kills them. And everyone is like, Illidan, what have you done? Oh, my God. There must have been another way. And he explodes. Like, he flips out. He's, like, screaming. You know, he's like, you know, you're a damn fool, Ravencrest. What did you want me to do? Surrender? My my mages gave their lives. What this have what you they sacrificed? Have, this is what they would have wanted. What did you give up? Yeah. What have you give up? What have you sacrificed? And it's very telling because he is a hypocrite. Because he doesn't actually sacrifice. He makes other people sacrifice. Now, granted, it he's right as well. I mean, they didn't have a choice. What else was he supposed to do? The only other alternative at that point was to lose the fight. And it's fascinating to watch this because nobody comes out of it looking good. In my opinion, Illidan does not come out of this. What Zara oh, no, showed you, you yeah. what Zara is showing you, Illidan comes out of it looking like a spoiled, judgmental, arrogant, but also correct ass. He's correct, but he's but, a pe- petulant child. Yeah, exactly. In his correctness. But what else is interesting about it too is purely mechanical. If you're ever wondering why demon hunters do some of the stuff they do, Illidan does it when he's using arcane magic. Yep. You know, the cosmic energy attack he uses is basically the demon eye beam. It's just using arcane energy. Yep. The jumping into a crowd, that's the d- demon hunter, like, you know, combat leap. He has a demon hunter. He jump back. He does it. All of this is arcane. All of it. But he's doing the exact same stuff. It's really fascinating to watch. Um, but, yeah. It's just arcane fueled instead of fell fueled. Yeah. And he even says during the fight that, you know, the, he says at one point, it's true. The fell is stronger than my arcane magic. But the truth is you use it like a hammer. This is how a master acts, and that's he, uh, he's very arrogant, but at the same time, he's right. That's one of the things about Illidan that's fascinating is he really is one of the best mages who ever lived, even though he's not a mage anymore. He really was amazingly talented. So, it's, but even but even as a demon hunter, even like we, from what we read in you know the Illidan novel, even from what we we've experienced of his story in the game, he's still a mage. Like it, it's just he's channeling fell energy instead of arcane energy to do it. It's still, he's still applying the same principles. He's still applying the same research. He's still applying the same techniques that he would use. And and just like you pointed out, and I had that same thought when I was doing that quest, it was like, this is a demon hunter. This is a demon hunter fueled by arcane energy. But even then, it's still fueled essentially by the arcane life force of those mages. And what he's doing now is fueled by the fell energy life force of demon. And it's such an interesting thing because it's like, He's taking this this horrendously blunt object and he's turning a hammer into a scalpel. And 
that's because he's still treating it like a mage would treat arcane energy. And I think that's really important to note. Like, yeah, he may not be a, a mage and name anymore, but he darn well is acting like he is. So do you guys think that this might be some kind of bait and switch on Blizzard's end? I don't know if it is. They're putting a lot of time into it. I mean, we, yeah. we, you know, but the thing is, is I think, I think to a degree it's trying for a slightly more nuanced narrative that you can be, you can be a jerk. You can be like, you know, an absolute jerk, like a real, real, I can't even use words. Like they'd all be swear words. You can be that guy and still be right. Like Illidan can be a child of destiny and still be a jackass. Uh, I'm just going to say it because you didn't have to be, you don't have to be necessarily the noblest person in the room to be the one who's the right guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he, it's he, really irritating when you are the right guy. But if you're the right guy, you're the right guy, period. Yeah, and it's fascinating to watch him. I, I don't think that it means that Anduin's not going to do the things we've seen him do. I don't think it means that, like, for, I don't think there's only one person. They need Illidan it's an right army. now. Well, the thing yeah. is, it's, it's an army, and armies have multiple generals. They have multiple sergeants and lieutenants. There's a command structure. I mean, heck, I mean, when we talked about... Um, our, our little light demon there, he's a general, like he's, he's a commander. That's what he is in the army of light. And so there could be more than one of them. There can be more than, and, and as we've seen throughout gameplay as well, there are multiple heroes that step up and have important things in, in these events. It's not all just one person. So yeah, I think Illidan is still going to play that important role. I don't think it's a bait and switch, but I don't think it's going to diminish Anduin's role at all. They'll just be doing different things that are equally as important. I'm going to say this, though. I still hope that at some point as Shara joins up. I feel and... it's I feel it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here. I'm sorry. I feel it's kind of interesting with the Illidan, with all of the past stuff that we're seeing. We are seeing kind of a progression there because... Illidan, child of destiny, Cenarius turned him away and said, you can learn from your brother. And Illidan didn't want to do that. But he explained it was because Illidan didn't want to sacrifice anything. He wasn't willing to do it. Well, then we get to the moon guard scenario where it clearly shows that he is willing to sacrifice like he's learning. Right. But he's not sacrificing anything of his own. He's sacrificing those around him. And using that to make himself more powerful. So he's still not in that position where he's willing to sacrifice. And I get the feeling that maybe the next scenario that we're going to see is going to be the moment where Illidan says, oh, it has to be me. Okay. And maybe that doesn't kick in until after that 10,000 years. Or maybe that kicks in. Maybe we're going to see what Illidan saw while he was imprisoned. Maybe we'll see that vision of the Burning Legion. Maybe we'll see him come to that realization that, oh, okay, no, there are bigger things at work here. And I forget Tyrande. Who's Tyrande? I don't care anymore. This is about the universe. (laughs) I have a really, like, this this opens up a really interesting question, right? So Zara talks about, in in the first ones, where, like, the, the essence has, you know, traveled through, like, time and space and blah, 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 and is infused inside of this child never talks about when that moment was infused right and he is a twin so do we is the essence split is there something coming up that's going to involve malfurion in such a way that pushes him that final last step supposedly that, i don't think so because illidan was the one that had the golden eyes yeah, they malfurion both have didn't, no, they malfurion both have golden had, eyes 
Malfurion was not born with them. Malfurion developed golden eyes because he became so powerful as a druid. Yeah, it wasn't ones, something that he was born with. The people that have golden eyes at birth are people like um, Ashara Eridan and Ashara. People who have an important special destiny from the beginning. Whereas Malfurion basically kind of earned his destiny. It's, he did. Like, yeah. He did. He worked real hard. He studied under Cenarius. He became the first druid. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, he developed the golden eyes because he earned them. Um, Illidan didn't earn them. He was just given them. And he kind of, it felt like almost he took kind of a passive role because he was just expecting his destiny to come to him. You know, it's like, oh, I got gold eyes. All right. Well, I guess I just need to wait for the extraordinary things to happen. Wait, you mean everything? Not, not everybody's going to hand me everything on a silver platter. What is this nonsense? You know, Um, I feel like though, when he was imprisoned for those 10,000 years, he came to that realization. The thing that I find fascinating about these visions and things is that we're actually for the first time in game getting a look at the thought processes and what's going on in the heads of these characters. And usually that's something that's reserved for the novels, but we're getting a better look at Illidan as a character. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely think that there's something to be said for like getting to actually see why he did what he did. For for all that, I I made the point that he sacrificed other people. There's actual regret there. Like he sounds. There is, yeah. He's like, I forgive me for what I must do. At one point, he even says, "Should I do this?" Like he's he isn't immediately like, "Oh, guess I'm gonna have to sacrifice him." He's like, "What do I do this?" I mean. What what is my choice? Can I do anything else? Like, and the doesn't... longer the longer you don't make the sacrifice, the more times he says stuff like that too. Like yeah. if you if you go through, because originally like I tried not to do any of the sacrifices, and it's it's literally a rolling dialogue of him convincing himself, you know, like this is awful, this is terrible, but I need to do this because I'm the only one that can. Nobody else can do this, you know. And it it's a, this big rolling thing. And again, the longer you take the sacrifice, of those mages the more down that that rabbit hole he goes and it's it's interesting to hear him convince himself that it's justified i really like the fact that they took that into consideration too when they were doing the dialogue for that oh yeah the players would not want to do it players would say oh no i want to break it i want to do it without sacrificing anybody and they said nope can't do that and besides that here's some more dialogue in case you decide not to do that let's just further justify what Illidan is doing here. Not yeah, just justify it, but explain it, explain what's going on in his head at that point in time. Well, like there's that whole thing where he says like, either I have to sacrifice my mages or I have to recharge at one of these portals, but I tried recharging at one of the portals. You don't recharge any mana. No, nope, you get you your health. You don't you get, get any health. mana. So it, you can't really recharge at the portals. All you can do is stand on them and then just use your right click ability and hope like that's it. Um, I managed to kill like the, the portal before the very last fight. I managed to kill it without draining anybody by having the people I was that with me, the moon guard guys. If you target that portal, your beam does nothing to it, but theirs do. So if they're attacking it, it will eventually go down. But then the guy came out and I had to fight him. And I was like, okay, I, I can't like, I, I'm going to literally be t- kiting this guy around for the next week and he's not going to die. So I had to drain them just to kill him. There was no other way to do it. Like you could do it if you're willing to wait 45 minutes, but I didn't have that amount of time. And it's fascinating to think about that. Like the, the way it's, the way it's set up to push you into actions that are pretty horrific. Okay. Well, we've got one more question here and I think we've got time to answer it. Cause it's real quick. 
Um, and this one is from Castile from Madran, who says, okay, from an in-game lore perspective, now that we've got class halls and every race is together in their own class hall, shouldn't priests and paladins despise blood elves because they steal the light? Looking for your thoughts. Love your show. Been listening since the old days. Castile... No, because they don't do this, that anymore. They don't do that yeah. anymore. At the end of Burning Crusade, the Sunwell was restored, and it was restored through the sacrifice of Anaru, who knew what it was getting into when it volunteered to be kidnapped and taken away and taken to the Blood Elves to be siphoned. Muru knew what was going to happen to it when it got taken away, and it let it happen. Um, he, she, it, I don't know. It's Anaru. I'm going to call it an it. Uh, but Velen was there, and Velen used the heart of Maru to rechart to essentially give new life to the Sunwell. And there's a whole scene that plays out. If you haven't done it before, I would suggest you go in to the Sunwell and actually like complete the raid. Um, if you're level 110, you will literally no sneeze. Time, yeah. <laughs> You'll sneeze yeah. and things will die, <laughs> so it won't take you very long. But stick around after you defeat Kill Jaden because there's this big long scene that plays out and Liadrin shows up and she's just completely humbled and in awe both from the light that's coming from the well and from the fact that Velen would do this for her people that the Naru would make this kind of sacrifice and Velen would show up and actually do this for her people despite the faction divide despite anything else he basically saved the blood elves period um, so yeah, when you're a paladin or a priest from the blood elf perspective, you're, you're taking the light from the sun. Well, now you're not, it's, it's not coming from a siphoned, you're not stealing it anymore. That's something that kind of went away at the end of burning crusade. And it's an important theme too, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a theme of healing. It's a theme of, uh, of sort of being cured of, for lack of a better term, this, this magical addiction, this, the of stealing light or stealing magic or anything like that. And that's a theme that is pervasive against uh, throughout all the expansions with elves in particular, which I find really interesting. Plus, um, I mean, if you tie in like the, there's a point made in wrath that actually comes into this, uh, the blood elves in, in burning crusade basically felt like they'd been abandoned by the light. When the right. scourge came through, they felt like, well, we prayed and we, we called out to the light and nothing, and nothing happened. responded. Yeah. And Velen later on says, and he says it to somebody else involving something else, he's trying to heal a broken. And they're like, you know, why would, if the broken are here, like the broken exist, obviously the light doesn't love them anymore. And Velen's like, no, that's not the case. The light does not abandon you. Like, the light simply does not move unopposed in this world realm. The light has things it fights. It isn't just the light doing whatever it wants. The light does not move unopposed, and we must help it. If we want to see the cosmos the way we want it to be. There's a really good novella in um, World of Warcraft Paragons, in the World of Warcraft Paragons collection called Blood of the Highborn, that basically goes over the fall of the Sunwell and how that affected everyone. And it involves Liadrin directly. Um, and you can see what she went through and also what the Blood Elves as a whole went through during that time period when the Sunwell was destroyed. Um, and I would really recommend reading it because <laughs> it kind of explains a little bit about that too and why it meant so much to them when Velen did what he did and when Muru did what he did. Um, there's a reason that the Blood Elves on Draenor, they don't go to work with the Orcs or the Frostwolves or anything. They straight up go into Talador and help out the Draenei that are over there at Akendon. 
And it's specifically because, you know, they're paying back the favor. Really, that's what it feels like is just they're paying. They're trying to pay back that favor as best they can. There's no real way they can say thank you for saving our people. Thank you for saving us so that we don't just die out or turn to corruption or turn to whatever. You've not only saved, you know, you've not only redeemed us, but you've essentially guaranteed that our people will live on after this. We aren't just going to die out. So, yeah, um, I don't think that there's any sort of animosity going on or nor would there be not at this point. Not after this many years. They, they pretty much understand. The class halls kind of, um, I, I think that they kind of bypass faction lines in a way. Would you Which guys I mean, agree? Which I mean, well, it's, and what, that's what they're supposed to do because... Yeah. Because you you're the, not banding together as alliance yeah. board. You're banding together as druids or as or shaman, paladins or, or priests paladins. or shaman. The paladin, one, the paladin one in particular, if you're doing the paladin campaign, you even like go up to the heads of each suborder of paladins and there's like a pony bright main uh lady liadrin uh vindicator boros they all come together that you go up to them and say we're doing a council come meet me and they're like yeah that's a great idea let's let's go do this so they're they're like up front with it like they're the, all on the same page they realize that there is mm-hmm. a bigger threat out there the, the warrior one is literally just your warrior and a whole bunch of rykel and so it's not like there's a bunch of orcs hanging around going, yeah, let's do stuff. It's just, literally just you. It's like me and my Vrykel buddies. And oh, yeah, and Thorum. Hi, Thorum. Hey. <laughs> your Vrykel bossy. Your squad. An earthen. Your squad. There's earthen there. Don't discount the earthen. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this episode uh blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience um as far as that goes i guess we don't really have too many like final thoughts in the way of final thoughts because this was a Q&A episode but again if you have any questions specifically for Lorewatch send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com and go ahead and put Lorewatch in the subject line so we know that it's for this show in particular um, that said Rossi got any final thoughts uh, just that I really can't wait to be done with the show so I can go check to see if my artifact knowledge is up so I can go do the next thing <laughs> Yeah, I need to check on my shaman because I think it might be there. Not sure. Uh, Joe, what about you? Any final thoughts? No, I mean, I'm just I'm at a point now where I'm at the I've completed all of the storylines currently as far as as far as I can go individually. I need to know what else happens. I need more. I need more. And I can't wait to find out what happens next. I think for me, I mean, I've I've started progressing in Suramar. It's kind of slow going because now I'm at the point where it's like, oh, I have to go do world quests and get rep and all this other stuff. Um, but I've done a lot of running around Suramar in general and discovering various stories, and that's really fun. However, I think this is the first expansion in a very long time where I felt the urge to level alts, like as many alts as possible, because I want to see what all of these different storylines are and how they weave together throughout the different class halls. Because each class hall has a completely different experience. Um, So yeah, there's that. Legion is a pretty extraordinary expansion so far. I have yet to get bored with anything. 
Someone actually said in the queue the other day, you know, now that they were in a content lull, and I was like, you're in a content lull? How did... Well, how are you in a content lull? Like, what are you doing? You're having a content lull. Or or what are you not acknowledging is there? Because there's a lot to do still. There is so much to do. I can't... There's no way... With the world quests, I kind of have to pick and choose which areas I want to do and which reputation I kind of want to get that day unless I just want to sit there and play World of Warcraft all day and so far I haven't really wanted to do that so I'm making like a little bit of progression every day but I'm doing it on several different characters at once so yeah it's getting a little convoluted I don't there is no content lull what are you talking about (laughs) I don't think we're gonna get one I don't not for a very very long time I'm pretty happy with Endgame as it is right now what about you guys I went into Emerald Nightmare the other day, and so far the story's pretty good. Uh, Yeah. I mean, just from a story perspective, I have yet to run out of story, and all of it is utterly fascinating. Oh, yeah. There's so much going on. There's so many many different storylines happening all at the same time, too. It's so far above what we got at Endgame and Warlords of Draenor that you can't even compare the two. And right now, it's starting to edge out Endgame of Mists of Pandaria. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. Miss of Pandaria was really good, but so far I'm enjoying what I'm doing with the end game here almost as much, if not more so, than the individual rep grind storylines from Miss of Pandaria. And I have a feeling that it's going to edge it out because it's nowhere near as monotonous as that got towards the end of it. Well, here's the thing. Um, two weeks, uh, we'll talk about it after. Okay. Thanks for tuning in, you guys, and we will see you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>